Hello and welcome to In Lockdown With, a podcast where I, playwright Kieran Fitzgerald, chats to emerging, established and experienced artists in the fields of theatre, film, television, dance and drama, from Wales and beyond, to find out more about their careers and to see how they've been coping during the coronavirus pandemic. Expect laughs, gossip, and an insight into the careers of some of Wales's best-known creatives. If you enjoy this podcast, please like and subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Thank you. Hello and welcome to this episode of In Lockdown With, with me, Kieran Fitzgerald. Today my guest is Dan Jones. Dan is the Artistic Director of the Other Room Theatre in Cardiff. Hi Dan, how's it going? Hi Kieran, thanks so much for having me mate. No, you're more than welcome. How's, how's your lockdown been? It's been okay, you know. Um, I think... The other room has been quite fortunate compared to you know to a lot of um, to a lot of other organisations, and you know I've had you know a lot to focus on with work. So mm. all things considered, I can't complain. Uh, I right. guess I guess a lot of, of artists have been finding it difficult to like be creative or kind of write or make work. What was the stuff you've been doing? Has it been mainly kind of applying for funding and admin stuff, or have you been able to to flex your directorial muscle as well during this period? It's a great question. Um, yeah, a, a bit, of, a bit of both. I think, yeah, a bit of both. I think the balance is definitely tipped towards the administration and the fundraising, um, but. There were the occasional creative projects. Um, I was super lucky that the Sherman and uh, National Theatre of Wales and BBC Arts got us involved in a rehearsed reading, you know, way back in April, May, yeah. when this 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 first uh, happened, and we were we were all creating these toolkits um, with mm. some resources to help people stay creative, you know. So they they were great to be, you know, um, to put together. We got to flex our creative muscles there. And we've been working um, on our tour emerging writers group as well, oh, sort of just doing some recordings in the theatre in the space. So that's been such a joy to you know welcome people into the room. Not done any directing myself personally, but <laughs> we've been enabling loads of um, uh, yeah freelancers to get involved. And so it's just been so very, so nice to see everyone. And yeah, that's been lovely. Fantastic. Uh, I'm gonna start where I always start these podcasts. I'm going to ask you, how did you first get interested in theatre? Good question. You know, I think that the truth of it is, uh, isn't is a particularly interesting answer. It's at school, you know. Went mm. to a Welsh medium school um, where... Uh, and there was a, a real tradition of going to the Estepals mm. and things like that. So, like, that was certainly the, the introduction. You know, we had some great teachers and they, Laurel um, they, Davis, got, they got me interested. Laurel so, yeah, Davis, yeah. Karen Grace. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, Laurel Davis, Karen Grace, and absolutely. Um, 
and others. Um, and so it was, they got us inspired in theatre nice and early. Um, and I suppose the, where it tipped into um, an interest in something I was good at um, was when I joined the West Camp of New Theatre Company. Mm. So um, I remember I saw, I had, quite, I had a, um, I had a, a sort of, uh, I had a bad, let me <laughs> to start that again. <laughs> um, I had a period where I had a bad hip when I was a, when I was a teenager. Right. And I remember all of my, my friends at school were off um, on a skiing trip over New Year's Eve. And so I was a bit down about that. And I was actually um, a drama teacher at Scott Gumbus in the Vero who, you know, turned to me and said, well, there's this thing called the West Morgan New Theatre Company mm. and they do resident, residential courses over New Year's Eve. And I went, hey, you know, I'm by myself. Otherwise, mm. like, why don't I try that out? And I, you know, I'm enjoying this drama thing. And then before you know it, I'm in a room with industry professionals and the, the work ethic and the drive was incredible. And then I realised that, oh wait, a Ponce Dower, Swansea Valley Boy does have a pathway into the creative industries if I want to do yeah. it. Because it was, you know, I was working with those individuals when I was about 15 years old. So that, that for me is when, you know, um, I really started to take things seriously. Um, uh, and then that led to a university degree. Mm. Um, and, and yeah. Then, but, then but, but was it acting for you at that point? It was. That was definitely my introduction to it, and um, and I enjoy and I I, like, I enjoyed it. Um, but I think deep down, I was probably in love with the idea of myself as a performer. Right. And it was actually, you know, I don't. I'm like, but that was, but that that's not. You know, that sounded really judgmental. It's not because what that process meant is that, you know, it. It changed. It changed who I was. It, it it gave me a confidence. You know, all of those cliches that we kind of we know to be true. The way that theatre enriches the lives of people. You know, and like innate, and like yeah. makes them better communicators and like forges friendships. Like all of those cliches. Like I lived that. So, um, so it was definitely a, a love for me in the first instance. Um, but then I realised, I think, as I got older throughout youth theatre and um, into in university, that I was falling in love with the work and actual the, right. the, 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 the creative process. And um, I've always been quite technically minded as well, so I dabbled in that area. And the natural sort of landing point, having expressed those two interests, were, was directing, you know? Uh, and so of... were you starting to think about that before uni? Going into uni, were you thinking, I want to be a director, or was it still, I want to be in the theatre industry in some way, but I'm not sure what I want to do? Yeah. Yeah, it's a good question. The truth of it is, I can't quite remember what the attitude is going in. I think the attitude for going to university was um, mostly, I need to get out of Swansea Valley. I need to go somewhere different because <laughs> <laughs> I'd taken my time when I was about 20. So, um, uh, but, and I knew I had an interest in theatre and I, uh, I had, you know, confidence in my ability as a performer, but I, I, I'd be lying if I said there wasn't something in the back of my mind saying you should try directing, you know, having, having worked with some, some great directors um, through youth theatre, I had an understanding of what the role is, and it gave me a real, um, 
uh, foundation of, of knowledge and experience, having worked with people like Nick Evans and Viv Buckley and, you know, uh, Matthew Bulgo, Mark Anselin, like great, yeah. fantastic um, individuals. So, um, so yeah, but then it was in the third term of first year where Exeter University run this thing called the T3 Festival for drama students. Mm-hmm. Um, where you don't have any examinations, they condense the course into two terms, and the third term is all about this festival, and you yeah. get to you know you pitch you pitch a production at it, a program at it, and they give you uh, some resource and leave you you know like create your own work, and it's a in hindsight it's a perfect opportunity to make mistakes and to take risks, yeah. but I forged creative um, partnerships there that are still with me now um it's fantastic so i think it was during that it was, it was quite quite early in the university career mm. i suppose where i kind of went oh i think i might start calling myself a director and if i keep yeah. saying it maybe it'll come true one day do you think what what course did you do at exeter what was the name of the course it was a ba in drama oh and and do you think that kind of prepared you for a career in the arts outside of uni? Oh yeah, I think it did. Um, you know, I think the expectations as a teenager was definitely drama school, you know, when, mm-hmm. you, when um, I thought acting was the way. But um, actually, it was, uh, you know, what, what, the, what the degree did, which I didn't anticipate to do it, is it changed the way I think about things. You know, it introduced you to methodologies. And I got, I'd often call it an English degree where you have to stand up um, yeah. occasionally. You know, it was it gave yeah. you a, a foundation and a, and a vocabulary to really, like, just get your teeth stuck into. <laughs> he says the word vocabulary and then he chips over his words. Uh, it gave us a vocabulary <laughs> to really approach uh, the yeah. internet process and analysis. Um, so, you know, that, that while at the time, I think, you know, in your early 20s, you don't quite recognize mm. the value that that, that has. Um, you know, I never thought I'd use the word semiotics or phenomenology or you know, yeah. or any of these terms and ideas ever again, but then I catch myself using the word semiotics in, in a rehearsal room three yeah. years later, and you go, oh, wow, actually, like, it did change the way I think, and it did provide me with that language to use and to, to articulate myself. So absolutely, the, the course did... Um, people who've come on have said that they're having that those kind of opportunities in uni allowed them to have the freedom to to fail and not to succeed and make make mistakes um and then when they graduated and went out they knew what the mistakes they'd made and they wouldn't make the same ones do you feel that is applicable to how you felt then at that time I think that's applicable. Absolutely, I agree with that. And like, um, when you graduated, um, had you already formed Critical Ambition? Or was that something that was formed in uni? Yeah, so there's it's quite a grey area when Critical Ambition was actually formed. 
So um, I have um, my friend and collaborator Tom Miles. We met at UC Theatre. We ended up going to college together. We ended up going to university together. Um, we share a birthday. It's, ridiculous. <laughs> it's, a, li- it's a little bit wow. sad. Um, and I'm sure he won't mind me saying that. But no, you know, we were two artists who had similar values. We came from similar places, um, uh, almost identical experiences. Um, so, and, and we were, and we knew that once our time at Exeter finished, although the heart said go to London, the, the bank balance said go home to Swansea. Right. Um, so that's what we did. We ended up going home, and while we were there, we just didn't. You know, that, not that there wasn't any work being made in Swansea. Of course, there's work being being made in Swansea, but there wasn't. Um, uh, we we still felt that we had something to contribute to mm-hmm. that um, to that landscape, and that there was a gap and that that needed filling. So, critical ambition is inspired by the micro poem, which is often wrongly attributed to Dylan Thomas outside of uh, Swansea train station. It's not actually Dylan Thomas, and. Um, so it's it's and it's about this idea that when you move to Swansea, you would need ambition to leave, and we kind of resented that state that sentiment. Right. So critical ambition was the yeah the antithesis to that. Uh, I, I like in terms of the work you were making, you and Tom were making. What what kind of things were you interested in at that period? It was modern drama mainly. Right. You know that that that's I think. One thing we noticed is that, um, again, you know, you had uh, Antic Theatre and, you know, Volcano and Fluel, and you had these companies making new work, don't get me wrong. But in terms of the the established playwrights, such as, uh, you know, your Mike Bartlett's, to your James Graham's, to your Nina Raines, like those those established plays that were being these new contemporary plays that, that, that felt relevant to us at the time, um, they were only made really outside of outside of Wales, as far as we yeah. could tell, from, from, you know, from, from where we were standing at the time. That, that was, you know, we were obviously wrong in that because whilst all that was happening, uh, Kate and Busy were creating the other room. And, you know, <laughs> so um, so, that, so that, I think that was definitely where we came from. But, you know... I'd be, it'd be disingenuous, disingenuous of me to say that what we were, you know, we were trying to provide a platform for ourselves, and we, and and we in, and so we just put on productions of plays that inspired us and that we liked, and that that said something to us, you know. Um, I think we, you know, we've grown past that now. I think we understand that it's not about. It's not about a rival for us as artists anymore. Now it's about like how do you actually contribute to the community. Um, right. But back then it, it would, of course, it was. You know, you come out of you come you come out of university. You you want people to notice you. You want to you know you want something creative to 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 um to occupy your 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 mind and your time and and that's what you do and that's it's the, and that's cool. Um, and what kind so, of yeah. reception did you get to that work? It was all right. <laughs> um, uh, you know, we did it downstairs in a bar. A bar is yeah. actually a sign wine bar on Wine Street. So bring I know, I know. Modern play to Wine Street was like quite a, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that was quite, that was quite fun. Um, and we, you know, we had a great reception, but I suppose very few people who were already part of our networks and families and friends and, right. you know, within those West Glam and Gower College uh, circles, you know, it was... 
they were the people who came in Swansea, uh, no interest at all in Cardiff because, you know, back then we just thought we'd stick up a poster and people would come, but that's not the truth, mm. you know, you have to you have to invest into a community before a community yeah. pays attention to you, I know that now, it didn't then, and we took it back down to Exeter, so we got the uni lot to come in in Exeter, and then um, a lot of, you know, the French groups that we had, and uh in London came to the, the London. So we, we started off with a tour, you know, we travelled all around yeah. the with it. Um, uh, but, you know, the, of course the interest in it didn't really extend much beyond family, friends, collaborators right. and the occasional person who we invited, you know, within okay. the industry. Uh, but like in terms of making your own work and starting to make your own work, how important was that for you as an artist at that particular period? I think so, because as soon as you, you know, as soon as I had that one project under my belt, it kind of gave a sense of validity. I didn't feel like that at the time, you know, and I still don't feel like that. You know, you're constantly crying out for validity as an artist as well, and you want yeah. some other organisations to, to validate you by giving you the experience. And, um, so, it, but it, it was that, um, that gave me the confidence to start throwing off applications to places like, well, the other room. Yeah, and um, that's what we're gonna come on to next. Uh, you were you were trainee director at the other room under Kate Wasserberg. Mm. Um, what was that like, and how much did you learn from that period? Oh, I mean, a tremendous amount. Um, so hard to actually uh, articulate how much I learned. You know, I think. I was, I came into The Dying of Today, which was um, the second production, about probably halfway through rehearsals, maybe a bit sooner than that, um, because an opportunity to, to assist and to shadow Kate became available. Um, and, and, that, and that's where it all started. And um, so it was just good luck, really. <laughs> like that, that, my email address found uh, Nicola Island, who was the stage manager of the production, um, right. It was passed on to her by Marriage Swain, I believe, um, uh, and that's uh, and that's how I ended up in the room. And then I started to um, hang around as a trainee uh, director. Okay, you know, because okay, I wanted you to stick around, and yeah. myself and Chelsea Gillard became trained directors. And our graduation from our traineeship, if you like, was uh, Constellation Street by Matthew Bulgo. So a lot of what the trainee directorship showed me is you know the things that the mechanisms that go go on behind the creation of the work you know and it was mm -hmm. anything from like sweeping the floors to helping them get outs and the get-ins yeah. to like running to the tip to mm -hmm. making cups of teas and coffee a lot of making cups and teas and coffee so i was very good at that um and uh and then that leads to you know getting a sponsorship deal for free translation Welsh language translation i remember that's mm -hmm. one of the first things i actually contributed towards you know and writing blog posts and it just sort of stretched me in a way that I never like anticipated um, being challenged. Um, but then at the end of it, it was all sort of towards to make a play. And, and that's what I, that's what I learned that the, to be an arts administrator um, and to, to, to work in an organization as a, as a, an associate or a resident director mm -hmm. or even an artistic director, it's a very different job to the actual process of creation. Um, yeah. Did you anticipate, did you kind of realise the amount of kind of 
admin and, and let's say kind of lesser tasks that were involved with outside of the job and that was that something you kind of didn't kind of expect and we kind of not against but that you kind of shied away from a little bit perhaps yeah, I think I definitely expected it to be a, to be a lot of work. But do you know what? It's the process. You know, it was learning the ins and outs of how an organisation like the other room works. You know, and mm-hmm. I couldn't quite get over how um, small it was, really, in terms of like it had such a powerful brand, and that arrival was blasted, and that the rest yeah. of the season, that January was was fantastic, and they had such strength, and they had such clarity and purpose as an organisation. But then when you look at it, you know, they were operating under the same funding structures as everyone else. One or two arts council lottery grants a year, you know. I did, back then, I didn't know what revenue funding was. I didn't know what the portfolio was. I didn't quite understand the, um, you know, the, the ecosystem and the framework that right. the organization needed to operate within. So as soon as I understood that, I realized that, wow, it takes a lot of work to do that mm. job. Like what Kate and Busy and the rest of the founding team did was uh, uh, amazing. It was unbelievable, the amount of hard work they put into it in those early years. It's, um, you know, it's incredible. So to, to have been, you know, around during those during, during, during those first few years was uh, was wonderful. And, and then I was just really lucky that the boards, I suppose, um, they took a punt on capacity right. as opposed to experience because I definitely wasn't experienced enough, you know, I've never really worked anywhere else meaningfully. I've like been in other theatres here and there in bits and bobs and but you know, the other room has defined my twenties. Like I've <laughs> that's all I've done, mate. <laughs> and, and and when you became A D did you feel like there was a lot of responsibility and a lot of pressure on your head taking over from Kate who had been so successful? Or before you? Yeah, you know, I used to describe it as this, the most fulfilling and overwhelming thing in equal measures. Like, that, that's really how I used to think about it. Um, so, but, but I will say is the support that I had from um, our founding executive director, Busy Day, and Ben Atchbury and the board and everyone who was involved, you know, during those years was tremendous. Like, I never... I think if I, if I, if I felt pressure, it was placed on it by you know by mm, myself. Yeah, you know, I, it was definitely my my doing. I think if I felt that pressure, because the the community and everyone they were just so welcoming, and that was yeah. And your first election as AD was uh, all but gone by Matthew Drellian. Uh, just, I'm interested in kind of how you create your seasons and how you choose the work that you make. Has it changed since then or have you developed an approach to kind of choosing or creating which kind of specific plays you produce and what what kind of, like, I guess, kind of developing a voice for the other room? If you know what I mean. Yeah, I think it's definitely changed and it's changing. I, you know, we're in we're chatting now in such a uh, period of flux. Yeah. You know, nothing's ever going to be the same, and there's been some real moments of reflection and shame the past few months, and so it it 
it's still moving, it absolutely is. Um, so Overgone was a part of the Love Sick season, which is actually quite a clear example of how the programme used to work. So um, we the model the, the business model of the other rooms that go into one large lottery grant. Um, you subsidise that with earned income, box office, some, some some trust and foundations money, and then that was you know that's how you create your work. So because you don't can only go in for one of those a year, the idea you know the from from an, um, an economic point of view, the idea was to go right. Let's try and do three seasons on one large grant instead of just one show. Sorry, three productions a whole season yeah. instead of one production. And um, so then that gave rise to almost these small live anthology series that were connected by a theme. And mm-hmm. like, so it was both a smart move in terms of how you you know you fundraise and you create that but then also like it, it created these amazing like anthologies of work and and so that's 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 a busy um, and kate's and ben's mm-hmm. and that, that like that was something we definitely inherited from them so um Obergon, uh was about uh, forbidden and tribal love in the welsh valleys um so that is uh, was a part of the love six season and that was complemented by um, a number by Carol Churchill, which, right. obviously, which obviously discusses what it is to, to, to love uh, unconditionally, and then The Effect by Lucy Preble, which mm-hmm. kind of smashes modern ideas of romance and um, our modern understanding of science together in this, you know, this wonderful cerebral play. Um, so that, that's so there we go. So we, we felt that that was not a comprehensive um, you know, it doesn't cover everything there is to say yeah. about the idea of love because that's that's massive, right? It's probably the most talked about thing in uh, in the whole of art. But um, <laughs> we thought it was a it was a decent stab at covering what love in the modern age was. And mm. I remember having a conversation with Ben Attlee, um, uh about you know what like what my style was, like what I was interested in, what you know. Yeah. Um, and at the time, it was sort of love for the modern age. I was a proper. A proper romantic, I think, um, which is what I was interested in talking about. Um, but the season after that, you know, we kind of we followed the idea of the anthology series even further um, with the, the Violet series, which was a dystopian trilogy, a trip, like a triptych of um, dystopian plays. Yeah. Um, but the idea was that we would bring in a rep cast, um, a single design oh, okay. team, and then it would tour as a season. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, <laughs> in which, oh, you know wow. that, that, that makes my heart sink just saying that because it was so much work. But the team absolutely, they took that challenge on, you know, to, to tour three productions like mm-hmm. that around Wales and into London was such an undertaking. And the, the creative team were, were absolutely heroic in their efforts. So, um, but I think, you know, it, who knows what the funding situation is going to be when we get out of this. Um, uh, but perhaps now that idea of the anthology season has now reached the sort of natural limits, right. you know, with what with um, with the season, and we definitely haven't been doing enough in in um, ensuring that we are empowering marginalised voices in the way that we program. And I think that community and participation have been satellites to the central creative process, which is a failing, mm-hmm. and we. And, and so you know, there's a couple of exciting projects which I can't talk about because I don't have the funding yet. Uh, but there's a couple. Damn, of come on, come on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's a couple of exciting ideas um, which are addressing you know those right. those parts of our program, um, which uh, yeah, which I hope will you know 
our stakeholders will will share in our excitement mm. about and I can talk about them more freely. Definitely. And, and in terms of like your process as a director, how how is that developed? What is it first of all? And how do you feel it's kind of developed over the years? And does it does it tend to change depending yeah. on what the piece is? It absolutely does. Yeah, you hit the hit the nail on the head there. It all I suppose, you know, your style depends on the people you're collaborating with and what, what best serves the, the, the particular story that you're trying to tell. Mm-hmm. And and that's it. It's just about clarity and storytelling to me. Um and uh, I, I, I personally, um, intellectual consistency is something I really value. Can, um, you unpa- I, can you unpack that a bit? Yeah, absolutely. So I think the dream for me is to have a production where the, the form complements the narrative, and that is it's, it's guided by a single and then guided by a single idea. Um, and then you layer that with rhythm and heart, and you're golden. Um, yeah, and that so those 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 are my those, those those are the things those are my values as an artist I suppose. Um, but in terms of process and strategy and you know and, and how I approach work, I'm a nightmare, Kieran. Like I, I especially at the beginning, I used to think it was all on me. So so egotistical <laughs> in hindsight, but it came from a good place. You know, I just wanted everything to be perfect, and I thought that I I as a director have to do everything because when you're making work downstairs in a pub you are doing everything and it is yeah. your responsibility to to do all of those things so how i've grown as an artist working at the other is i meant to trust more and realize that oh when you collaborate obviously you get better results like that's it's so simple and so obvious now but those are the mistakes i made is to to try and carry the whole thing on on, on, on my back um so yeah but and it's 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 collaborating that now excites me just being able to sit down with a with a composer or a lighting designer and yeah. articulate things at a level that are, you know, you, you know, talk about those guiding principles and talk about that intellectual consistency, but actually leave them unpack all of that and, and create something fantastic. And then just, um, yeah. And I think as well as being, is being honest, like that, mm. that, that rigorous honesty going, that's not working. I know. And I know we've all worked really hard, but it's not working. Yeah. Like how do we address that? But balancing that versus like the realities of making theatre, that, that's something I found really difficult. Um, is to go like okay. that means solving that's not right. But I've got three sessions between now and the first preview. I'm gonna have to park it. I'm gonna have to move forward, and we'll solve that problem later. And accepting that was um, was a, was a huge journey to go on. I go, no, that's okay. Because yeah. um, we only have three, three, no, we only have two previews at the other room before press night, which, you know, compared to um, yeah. other more resource venues is, is, is nothing at all. So, um, uh, yeah, that, that, I think Do, that's... Does that make you even kind of more of a perfectionist, though, knowing that it's basically got to be right first time, that you don't get many second chances? It's because of the nature of, of the venue that you are. Yeah, and it does. It gets to you know. It does get to a point where I don't think you can be a perfectionist um, in theatre. You uh, you can you can absolutely strive for it. And which I'd encourage any any artist with to do is to go cool. But is it is it the best it can possibly be? Is it the best it can possibly mm-hmm. be? But it comes to it comes to a point I think when the show is up and running that uh, mm-hmm. that. 
the performers and the production team need to find it. Like it stops becoming your responsibility at a certain right. point, and you can oh you can definitely overwork something because you suffocate you suffocate the ownership out of the, the artists that are actually the troops on the ground. You know. Yeah. So um, so yeah, you kind of need to relinquish that a little bit. Uh, from my in my opinion, don't get me wrong, I'm sure that there are people listening to that this that think that is incredibly naive. No, that's cool. It might be. Well, yeah, I mean, it's interesting because I've spoken to quite a lot of directors on this podcast and a number of different kind of processes and the different ways of working is really interesting to me as someone who's not a director. I just find that really interesting. But, like, in terms of space and in terms of the other room as a space, it's a small... How many seats are in the other room? Uh, 47, 47. We, say for, we say 45 because the time you squeeze an usher in you have like a, a secret like you know uh, overflow seat we say 45 so does that affect the way you work the fact that you have a smaller space is, does it affect your process and how you go about the way you work or does it not come into it at all to, to, the honest answer is, mate, I'm not sure I've got, I'm the right person to answer that because my experiences are so tied to the other room. The second, you know, uh, the second I, I, I <laughs> direct something on like Italian and Anza no, mate, it's up in a struggle, you know, just like filling those kinds of space mm-hmm. and it's about shapes and balancing and all of these the in, very instinctual things that, that are important to me. Um, uh, I imagine, yeah, it is completely different. And I've, and I've assisted on, on, on productions with scale, so I've been a part of those, you know, and I've seen how, you know, um, how uh, how somebody having worked at the other room then goes on to a large-scale a large scale production, say, Theatre Cloyd, and they've gone, oh, my gosh, I've directed a show at the other room. Everyone's spread out, spread out. Yeah. Just to try and, like, uh, you know, create the, 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 um, the sort of... Uh, an exciting and, and beautiful piece of work, you know. So, um, so yeah, I'm not the best person to answer that because my, my experiences are so limited. But, like, theoretically, if, if someone, like, if Joe Murphy was like, come on, Dan, we're going to swap, like, a season. <laughs> Um, Imagine that. What, 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 would you, what would you... Would you change your approach for a space like the Sherman? Yeah, you'd have to. And again, you know, all we had a cast of six, including the child actors. Right. And like that, that honestly, like, you talk talk about blocking process. It was... It was slow, man, and detailed. And, you know, you had a working kitchen in the other room space. But then the next production you do is um, The Awkward Years... Yeah. Um, by Matthew Bulgo, and that's poor Lauren by herself. Yeah. Her, like you know, and uh, having to fill all of that space. So it really depends on the story. Mm. Yeah, you would you'd, you'd absolutely need to change tack going into a bigger space. Um, but it's not something that particularly frightens me because of my roots with West Ham Winnie's yeah. company. You know, that's say if anything, I started there and got smaller. Um, right. And and, then, and presumably, who knows what the future holds? But is to go is to go bigger again. Um, but and, and it, it all depends on the story. Mm. I'm gonna move on slightly because I want to talk about Constellation Street, which mm. you directed in 2016 um, by Matthew Bogo, and you co-directed this with Chelsea Gillard, if I'm right. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Was it was it kind of in a 
Promenade style. Just more overhead. Yeah, so, um, it's a quartet of monologues. And right. I think that was the, the push and pull of the process was, do we present it as a quartet of monologues or do we intertwine them in some way? Um, and, then ne- and neither of those felt right to everyone. Um, so I, I'm cutting a very long conversation which <laughs> creates a discussion is very short there but the, the idea was then how to, in order to best serve this story actually what we need to do is find a middle ground where they remain these beautifully crafted monologues they stay, they stay as those but then you're in a position where it's actually um, presented in a more dynamic way right. um, so the solve to that was to do a semi-promenade production so yeah semi-promenade was the word that we used and what we did we um we acquired some of the outdoor space from porters kindly from um, dan porter and his team and um and we split the the theater up into three separate spaces and the idea was four monologues would then run in tandem and uh the audience was split up into into the audience were split up into four separate uh, groups who would then um, alternate between each space and the idea was you'd see three you'd see two of the the really core structural pieces and then you'd see one of the other ones Um, and the idea that that would then encourage conversation afterwards it might even encourage people coming to see it again because it would be a unique experience depending on which order that you saw them in um, and it's uh, these four mo- these four monologues about um, individuals who are trapped in a purgatory of their own making, you know. And the question is, can they escape these purgatories? Um, and so, and yeah, and the, that that team, AJ Cook's design, and everyone, everyone involved, mm. it was unbelievable. Um, but you know, uh, I think I'd, yeah, I, I I can't speak for my, I can't speak for Chelsea, but for, from my perspective. Um, I enjoyed working with Chelsea and everyone, and it was it, the structure really worked. Like mm. you know, um, Chelsea took the lead on two monologues. I took the lead on two monologues, and then uh, we we collaborated on on the mise en scène, if you were, and the important yeah. beats like end and, and and those kinds of you know. And we collaborated with all the, all the designers, and, and and Kate and Matt were around as well. So it yeah. was a real collaborative effort. Um, and yeah, an absolute yeah joy to work on for your first for your first like professional mm. for your first professional production. It was yeah incredible. And did that kind of make you think? Oh, how can we challenge how we use this space? How can we kind of explore how we use the other room in a maybe slightly more unconventional way? And like what? Yeah. So. Like, the honest answer is no. I don't, well, I, again, I don't know what what Kate's, Matt's, and Chelsea's opinions are on on this. Um, but from my perspective, it was again, it was about what was best to serve the story mm-hmm. and the actual the um, the benchmark that that production set every production that followed it in terms of how the space is used and yeah. making the audience go, oh my gosh, they've done it again every time they enter the auditorium. Like it started there because of a desire to do what was best for the story. So no, I don't mm. think it was a. Uh, we didn't set out to go. Oh yeah, let's uh, let's find the limits of this space. Um, although production, your know, production value <laughs> ambition is always a big part yeah. of the other room's um, experience. Um, 
And again, what they what they achieved with playing silence earlier in that season, that so that was the insomnia season, and um, is certainly my favourite my favourite season. I look back at that time really fondly, you know. Um, yeah, so uh, I think the, the the that that insomnia season as a whole set this set yeah. tone for the ambition of the space. Um, so yeah, yeah. I am gonna move on slightly. Um, and I want to ask you because the other room is a pub theater. It's smaller space, and perhaps as well. As, would you call yourselves a fringe theater? So we are definitely a pub theater, um, right. and it's like, you know what. This is something that we talk about constantly between myself george um our, our our team members our trainees and associates over the last few years to the board like that this is something we constantly discuss is that definition of the pub theater yeah um uh, because it means something different in london there's a there's quite a there's, there's a consensus i think on what pub theater mm. means and it has a real spectrum you know it, it, it there's a real range of pub theaters so um uh that's it, we kind of see it as our responsibility as the first ever pub theatre to, to find what pub theatre is and can be for Wales. Yeah. Because the funding structure is different, the ecosystem is different. Like there's there, there's such a the, the Welsh context feeds into what we are. We can never be a Finborough or the Gate or uh, White Bear. Like we we're never going to be those those organisations or five or three. You know where um, we will always be our own thing because of the Welsh context. And yeah. that is a wonderful yeah. thing to find out. Um, but then there's no denying that we are also a fringe theatre, especially what we do with Spring Fringe. Um, I think it's just about what fringe theatre means for Wales is something that is still quite fluid um, because mm. it's a name that is so closely associated with with Edinburgh mostly, mm. I suppose, and partially in London London as well. And But each community will have their own fringes. So... Um, but we yeah, don't, we, do. we don't, we don't really have a history of it in Wales. There's not really a tradition like there is in London or in Scotland, would you yeah, say? Yeah, well, well, that's it, isn't it? It's so, it's so hard to, uh, to kind of capture those, because uh, I, apart from, you know, a few, a few books that I read when writing my dissertation, you know, and anecdotes from, uh, you know, from, um, people who founded Script Comrie and the you know, yeah. protest when that started and NTW. I don't, so it's all a bit before my time, so it's hard to comment on whether or not there was a fringe before. If there was, it was certainly a different fringe, and that's cool, and I think the, our ideas of fringe should adapt with times and grow and, and, and respond to what artists are around. And of course, kind of fringe theatre was, was around for a couple of years, um, those people doing some amazing work there. So it's this constant, like, flux of definition depending on mm. the personalities that are within that community you know um but in terms of your role in in supporting artists what how do you define that what is your role in terms of developing artists yeah Would you say you're a place where kind of early career artists can go or people who are just starting out is yeah that, God, you know, our, our definition of artist and element is really quite, um, it's quite broad. And another failing of, of ours as well over the past few years is really, is filling our own spectrum. So the other room 
kind of, the other room was established in order to fill that gap between organizations like the Royal Welsh College of the Ground and the Sherman because yeah. people were coming out of a great training and great education in Wales and unless they were willing to make their own work um, it was it was quite um, unlikely them get get getting sustainable employment in Wales as a performer you know um, they would they would end up having to you know um, they head to London or, or Mould yeah. or, you, know, I, you know that was that, that was the um, the gap that Busy and Kate set out to to fill and they did and that is one so it's an amazing position to have inherited and we do loads of scratch nights and young artists festivals and loads of enrichment activity for entry level artists and we do our 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 high production value performances that run for three weeks and are paid properly um, mm. and so that but then there's a massive gap. Like, how do you get from scratch to commission? It's a real issue with, with the other room's model, you know. And there's one yeah. that we've been trying we've been trying to battle with the last um, uh, two years, and we had a really exciting project lined up in 2020, <laughs> <laughs> which obviously didn't happen. So, mm-hmm. um, it, which, but it's still um, it's a process that will continue to go as the as the as the community changes as well. Um, so I think the ethos is that you learn you learn by doing, and it's mm. about it's about putting entry level and emerging artists toe to toe with experienced artists. It's definitely how I learned being in a room with Kate Osterberg, right? That's yeah. that's that, that that was the guiding principle. Um, and so we run this thing for two years called the Professional Pathway Program, funded by the Arts Council of Wales, where yeah. you know we wanted to provide that that pipeline into the industry, mirroring the journey that I'd been on. Um, and that it was my absolute privilege to have been on because I was able to pull pints and teach on the weekends in order to enable that. Um, so we start we start to pay our trainees and, and, mm. and our creative, um, sorry, and our, our producers. So we'd have two trainee, uh, two trainees, a director and a producer, two associates, a director and a producer. And the idea is that when it's my time to go, which you know it definitely will happen, um, that that we are we've created a bedrock of emerging mm. artists who are willing to take that step up and yeah, yeah this idea that the other room is not really the place where you can direct your first show or be in your first production but where you can run your first building like that's an important yeah. that's an important environment mm. that's that was missing in wales until the until the other room the problem is is that leadership changes take so long doesn't it so it's, yeah. it's really hard to it's quite hard to evaluate those kinds of claims um and you've got got to look at in a long-term context, I guess. Mm, yeah, well, exactly. The future, the future will definitely um, mm. will show whether or not the other room has contributed to um, uh, artist development. I mean, I'm passionate about <laughs> like I think it has personally. Um, and so yeah, but then also we do our, our spring fringe um, curated mm. season where we bring small-scale touring productions out from Edinburgh. We put local small-scale touring productions toe to toe with them. Like that—that that is a form of artist development, and um, we run the tour emerging writers program with sponsored by Bad Wolf. Um, we've yeah. got Pursuit Writers Program, which is exactly trying to fill the gap between scratch and commission. Like, so there's loads of different uh, avenues where we we try and upskill our our artists. And how are you going to be affected by COVID? Like, how how are you going to adapt? After COVID, excellent question. Is, uh, that, is, is that the big question for you at the moment? Is that something you're still kind of battling with? 
Yeah, so, we, you know, we're in a situation where, you know, we're only five years old um, and we're a project-funded organization, so it's trusts, foundations, um, uh, lottery-led projects and some earned income which contributes towards sort of the core of the existence of the organization. Um, but because we don't rely on earned income in the way that other, um, other venues do, Mm-hmm. Um, when COVID first hit, we were actually okay. Thankfully, we'd finished the tour. If that would have happened a month earlier, whilst we were still touring in London, that would have been a very different story. So, a bit of good timing and a bit of um, uh, good luck with how the model was sort of structured meant that in in that first instance, come March, April, we were we were okay. The problem yeah. is it closed down loads of funding opportunities like loads of trust and foundations lottery grants investment reviews and there's there's still very little clarity on what the futures holds for those for, for, you know for those kinds of things and that that's what we need to keep going so um that means that we've got a real bottleneck in fundraising so it's interesting that your first question was about are you doing a lot of fundraising and administration yeah. because that's what's happening at the moment that's yeah. that that only now things have started to reopen and um right. but it's exciting though because i think everyone all of the stakeholders that um uh, all of our stakeholders and potential stakeholders there seems to be a real consensus about a need for change and that and that's mm. that's where we're heading um as an organization and we've identified um we think uh, a model that helps us sustain but helps us um empower marginalized voices um participate and engage with communities at the point of creation and just change the um the dated sense of merit and individualism that defines mm. sort of the, the, the quality index like that, that that for us is something that we're really passionately trying to trying to change and so i can't again i can't say too much i'm trying to talk around the year because the applications are all in process and all these things i mean yeah um, nothing we can promise. so yeah. it's but it's we're we're on we're on a journey. We hope mm. that um, we hope that you know we're, we're we're through the worst of it, and now some opportunity can come in the in the new year. I think we've all got our fingers crossed that this vaccine <laughs> will be a silver bullet, and that we can see theatres reopen and all this exciting new work be made and produced. Just hopefully, mm. fingers crossed. Absolutely. The last thing I'm going to ask you is, what advice would you give to someone who is just starting out in the industry, especially considering the times that we're living in now? Yeah, God, it's so tricky. Um, I had a, we, um, we're having a conversation with a couple of universities, sort of asking, you know, asking for advice for their students, and um, and the I think the piece of advice I would give is. Um, accept that with this industry, it all comes down to luck and good fortune. At the end of the day, like you, it, it uh, and, and I do consider privilege as a part of luck. There, by the way, it's, privilege obviously enters into gateways into the, into the industry, which needs tackling and, and solving. And that is sort of pure luck, I suppose, <laughs> in some sense. Yeah. So, um, uh, but I do think that in order to find opportunity, it is good fortune. Um. That being said, you can help yourself out by positioning yourself in the right places so that when lightning strikes, you can work really hard to make the most of that opportunity. Yeah. Like that, and and so 
like like with the the man by by James Graham, which was the first show that Tom and I did upon graduating. It just so happened to be a play that was originally directed by Kate Wasserman. And like that is just yeah. luck. We kind of and and then all of a sudden this name was cropping up as someone who was making this exciting new venue. So we kept an eye out for it and. Yeah. Um, I tried to do any protests and like got to know them and such scratch nights and I positioned myself it, like into a place so that when um, uh, an opportunity became available quite last minute, I was in a really lucky position where I could just go, yeah, I'm there, I'll be with you after lunch. Yeah. And then I never really left. <laughs> well. You can work really hard. So that is like, that. that's, that's kind of the, it is all luck. But when the opportunities you can you can position yourself like with networks and so right now it's all about affordable networks i think people are far more accessible mm. now than they've ever been and although they don't have any opportunities now and that's a really like frustrating thing for those who tend to distribute opportunities to be in they you can get to know them and you can like have those introductions and you know and stick your hands up and say hi i'm here and i'm i, I'm, 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 I want to do this and i want to do that and one final piece of advice i'd give is um, when you're talking to those who do distribute opportunities, um, uh, then try and ask them what their strategy is, what they want to achieve, because it's all very well you coming in and pitching a production or yeah. pitching a, you know, a play or a show or an idea, um, but, if, but if they don't have the, the, the resource of funds mm. or it doesn't fit in with their strategy, it's, gonna, it's not going to go anywhere. So if you, before you come in with your idea, um, ask them what they want to achieve, and more often than not, like they're trying to achieve the same things that yeah. they're trying to achieve. The things that will inspire you right now tend to be relevant, right? And they're trying to solve relevant problems and address relevant stories and information. So, but it also just show it just shows you that you are engaged. Every theatre has um, is accountable to where the money comes from, and they need to achieve certain things because of that. And that's public money. I think it's only fair. Yeah. So it's um, so do put the effort and the energy into finding out what those those who have opportunity to distribute want to achieve. And I um, think and yeah. I think it can be difficult as an emerging artist because you want you want people to put your work on, you want people to make your work, and it's almost like you'll take anyone at this stage because they're interested in you and they're interested in your work. You don't think about. Oh, do I like them as a company? Do they meet my values? Because it's a, yeah, it is. Do you know a, what I mean? Tricky one. It's it's it, it absolutely is. Um, but uh, I think it will show a level of interest and integrity, which will make you stand yeah. out in my from my experience. If you like, if you feel you're in a position where you can ask, and don't get me wrong, there are like. That, that's just general advice. There might be really specific mm. circumstances where it's not appropriate to do that or example or, or moments where you know exactly what they're trying to achieve because they've been so clear. Then that's cool. Obviously, that's like, you know, that's absolutely fine. But yeah, that's that, that's the advice I would give. And that's what I would recommend anyone to do. Like, because we run our open room pro, um, program at the moment. So if you go online to our website, you can request a meeting with myself or George. And we'll we'll gladly give you the time, and we'll grab a Zoom and a coffee, and we'll get to know each other. And but and, and I suppose that's the advice I would give to anyone considering mm. the open room is like um, come and yeah come come and ask us questions and interview us and see what we've got going on. 
because um, we're open to being wrong as well. We're, mm. we're definitely not doing everything right. Um, so uh, well, we don't grow unless, in, like, unless our community feel comfortable enough to challenge us. So, um, so yeah, that's what I would say. Thank you, Dan. It's been fantastic, talk. Cheers, thanks for coming on. Oh, my, um, my pleasure, Kieran. Thank you so much. But, I, uh, yeah, <laughs> keeping creative and doing this. It's, it's been really, really awesome talking to you. Um, I will catch you on the next episode of In Lockdown With. I'm not sure who the guest is going to be yet. Got a few in mind. Uh, but I will see you then. So it's bye from me and it's bye from Dan. Goodbye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of In Lockdown With. The podcast is written, produced and curated by me, Kieran Fitzgerald. Thank you to all my guests for taking the time to appear on the show. If you enjoyed this episode of In Lockdown With, please consider liking or subscribing on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And I'll see you next time for another interview.